what we do here is go back, back, back. This is Mrs. Lasseter's list of AP Biology tips. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. If you're listening, you're probably one of my AP Bio students or you're interested in learning more about the AP Biology exam. The AP Bio exam is fast approaching. Whether you're looking to binge study or just get a little extra review in, this podcast is for you. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to our intro episodes on the exam overview, FRQ tips, grading questions, and more. There are more episodes coming soon. These will include tips on using the AP Biology formula sheet, multiple choice strategies, lab review, as well as last minute reminders. If there's a topic or a comment you'd like to share, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback from whoever happens to be tuning in for our exam prep. In this eighth episode, we'll go through the third of the four big ideas. Now, a lot of ecology comes into play in big idea four, but you'll also see molecular biology, cell bio, cell bio, other levels of organization, and even enzymatic functions. Now, some of big idea four I tend to teach towards the end of the school year, so some of this may be more familiar than some of the other topics, but like all the other big ideas, I teach them throughout the year, so some of this will be new and some of this will be a little bit more rusty. Remember, within the big ideas are essential knowledges and learning objectives, which you can review in the AP Biology course description online. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to go to the AP Biology course homepage on AP Central and review the entire curriculum framework if you have time. So what is Big Idea 4? Big Idea 4 is, according to the College Board, biological systems interact, and these systems and their interactions possess complex properties. So system interactions is how we'll summarize it. Now, we'll start with biological molecules here, and these are the four main organic compounds that you should remember. I like to teach my students functional groups towards the start of the year, things like the carbonyl group or an amino group, and these really come into play when we're talking about the structure of specific organic compounds. Now, the AP course description says you don't need to memorize specific molecular structures for the exam, but you will need to know what each of the biological molecules are made of and how they function. So the MIG-4 are carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, nucleic acids. Now, this also can lump in here our high-energy compounds like our nucleotides and ATP molecules, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So the big four, carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids. Now, for example, you don't need to memorize the specific amino acid structures, but you probably should be able to recognize an amino acid with its amino and carboxyl groups and know that its R group determines the structure and function of that region of the protein because of its chemical properties, for example, because it's hydrophobic or hydrophilic or ionic. Now, remember the specific order of amino acids in a polypeptide is our primary structure, and that's going to interact with the environment that that polypeptide is in to determine the overall shape of the protein, which involves our secondary and tertiary and quaternary structures as well, and so therefore its function. Now the same idea about memorization and structure goes for nucleotides. You don't need to memorize the structure of specific nucleotides, but recognizing that a nucleotide has a sugar, a phosphate group, and a nitrogen base may be important for the exam. So a good question from 2017 um, that kind of brings some of these these ideas in is from 2017, number eight, um, about the character of phospholipids in the membrane. Now remember, phospholipids are in our lipids category, and it asks you one characteristic of the plasma membrane that allows estrogens to passively cross the membrane. And so you can say here that they are hydrophobic or nonpolar, and that there is space between those phospholipid tails. So that's important to know. Now speaking of structure and function, there's a good question from 2006. This is an older one, but a good one, so I recommend 
reviewing it. This is from FRQ 2006, question number two. Now we're going to move into cellular organelles. Now I'm not going to recite a list of all the organelles you should know for the AP Biology exam. You can review these from your class notes or activities or go back to the AP Biology course description on the official College Board page to see the ones that are important. Remember, as a theme in biology at many levels of organization, not just the organelle level, not just the cellular level, structure dictates function. So think about that when it comes to organelles. How are they shaped? What do they do? Focus, if you're going to focus on studying organelles, focus on chloroplasts and mitochondria if you can. There are a lot of cool characteristics of those two that you should study, and they pop up in other big ideas as well, especially when we're talking about photosynthesis and respiration and evolution. There's a short question from 2013, question number six, that goes over cell types and different organelles, and it shows you a chart with relative amounts of organelles in three different cell types, cell X, Y, and Z, and then it tells you whether or not they have an ER, that's smooth, a rough ER, a mitochondria, a cilia, and Golgi bodies. Cell Z, for example, doesn't have any of these things. And so based on the analysis of the data, it's asking you to identify a likely primary function of each type of cell and explain how the data support the identification. And you can go through and based on the organelles that are present, give a rough estimation of what that cell does. Next up is cellular specialization or how cells are specialized and differentiate. So remember that our DNA is like a cookbook with all of the genes for the organism, but different cells will have different genes turned on because they are going to do different jobs. Now remember that differentiation can occur earlier on for our larger multicellular organisms uh, from our stem cells, but environmental stimuli can affect gene expression in a mature cell as well. So think about what can be turned on and off in a particular cell um, because of environmental cues. Also in this big idea, we're going to be talking about organ systems and the idea that they are going to have many complex properties because of interactions between their different parts. So we're thinking as we go up here, we started with our organic compounds, then cell organelles, then cells, then organs and organ systems, and you can see the levels of organization as we talk about these big ideas. Remember, systems and interactions. So with organ systems, I want you to think about not just organ systems in humans, but other organisms, including plants. If you want to spend time reviewing systems, remember to focus on the nervous, endocrine, and immune systems. Circulatory or cardiovascular systems are important too, but more in terms of connectedness and their roles in gas exchange and transport. Now, communities is next. Um, we're going to switch gears and talk about these biological communities. These topics can show up on the AP exam in various ways, such as in experiments or multiple choice questions or grid in math. Um, it's important to think uh, that communities are composed of populations of organisms that interact in different ways. In the FRQ from 2017, question number four, there is a good question on uh, communities and it gives you a food web and it gives you uh, various things to analyze about that particular community. And remember that a structure of community can be measured and described in terms of species composition and species diversity. And sometimes you'll be asked to use different equations to analyze that as well. And there are different models that can illustrate and investigate population interactions within our different environmental impacts in a community. You may be asked to analyze a predator-prey relationship or predict the consequences of interactions between predator-prey. You may be asked to look at symbiotic relationships or graphs of different field data collected or different global models for things like climate change. Our next big topic is that interactions between living systems and with their environment result in the movement of matter and energy. So think about our cycles here. And remember, living systems do not violate our second law of thermodynamics 
dynamics. Energy flows, matter is recycled. We're going to be thinking about this on the organismal level, but also how human activities can impact ecosystems on local and regional and global scales. And we know that as human populations have increased, then their impacts have also increased and magnified in lots of different ways. And we see the reduction in population size of different species and habitat destruction, which is the number one cause of a species becoming endangered or extinct. And so there is a good question from 2014, FRQ, question number three from 2014 on clearing land and human impact and the resulting effects of that. Some topics that you should make sure you have examples for and know the definitions of as far as human impact goes are urbanization, an introduction of invasive species, overfishing, human waste, deforestation, water usage, and fossil fuel burning. This is not a complete list, but it is good to make sure you understand what each of these actually does to a community and have some specific examples in mind that you could cite in case you were asked to bring them up. Switching gears here, the next topic in our Big Idea 4 is interactions between molecules and how structure and function can be affected. So if you want to look at question number two from FRQ from 2010, again, before that 2012 mark, but still a good question, you're asked to identify uh two environmental factors that can change the rate of an enzyme-mediated reaction and discuss how those factors would affect the rate of the reaction of an enzyme. So now we're talking about enzymes. So I know it's changing things up a little bit, but we want to make sure we understand that the change in the structure of a molecular system may result in the change of the function. Again, structure dictates function. And the shape of the enzymes and active sites and interaction with specific molecules are going to be really integral to that basic functioning of the enzyme. So you can talk about enzyme-mediated reactions and how the lower the activation energy and permits these reactions to occur in our systems. And make sure you know the different vocabulary associated with enzymes about our substrate and our uh, active site and our cofactors or coenzymes and how they may affect enzyme function and how interactions can occur. Now, you don't need to memorize any specific names of cofactors or coenzymes, but just know how they could affect the rate of reaction for a particular reaction. So you're asked to analyze how different factors could inhibit or enhance enzyme activity as well. For example, how a molecule could bind to our active site or to an allosteric site and then change the activity of an enzyme. Going back to that 2010 question. If you wanted to talk about how temperature, if you raise the temperature to a certain amount, it could increase the rate of reaction because we have higher molecular movement. But if we get too high, we can get that enzyme denatured or how a certain pH level can inactivate the enzyme's activity. Next up, we're going to talk about how living systems can cooperate or interact. And at the cellular level, like uh, the plasma membrane, these organelles are going to contribute to how the cell is specialized and how it functions. And then when we go up to multicellular organisms, we have different organs that contribute to the functioning of the organism. And I want you to be thinking about how cooperative interactions at the cellular, organismal, or system level are going to increase the fitness of the organism in a particular environment. Now, you may recognize some of these as examples for symbiosis. So make sure you have examples on hand as parasitism, predation, mutualism, and commensalism, and competition and how they can affect population dynamics. There's a good question on mutualism in 
in Plants from 2016, so FRQ 2016 number five that you can check out in practice. Now, also acknowledge interactions between groups of organisms, and this will bring back feedback loops and mechanisms. Now we're going to talk about populations, so make sure you review population patterns and how changes in populations can occur. There is a lot of population math that could show up on the AP Biology exam, so make sure you review some practice problems with population growth. These could appear on the grid ends or graphs that you have to draw. Review the effects of an invasive species, remember a non-native species that does harm. For example, the rainbow smelt, which is a fish, it is non-native and was introduced into the Great Lakes, and then it spread through waterways, and of course more human introduction, and it contributed to the extinction of the blue pipe, another fish, by outcompeting it, and it also affected many other species by outcompeting them for food. So Think of the characteristics of an invasive species and what might contribute to their success in a new environment. Maybe they don't have a natural predator. Maybe they have more favorable, favorable environmental conditions towards their reproductive cycles. Another population pattern that you might want to study are carrying capacities. There's a short question on carrying capacities uh, in organisms from FRQ 2015, question number six, if you would like to practice that. Next up, we're going to be talking about how local and global ecosystems can change over time. Now, of course, human impact is going to accelerate change at both local and global levels. There are also geologic and meteorologic effects and events that can impact ecosystems such as El Nino or continental drift or any of our mass extinction events. So think back to our five major mass extinctions and why they occurred. Next up, you might want to review how environmental factors can influence many traits, both both directly and indirectly. So examples of these would be height and weight in humans. We can have our hydrangeas, which can change color based on the pH of the soil, or our fur color in different Arctic animals based on the seasons, or our sex determination in reptiles. There was another question from 2017 that referenced this. And of course, we're moving on to population variation. A big theme here is that species and populations with little genetic diversity are at risk for extinction. This can be because there is little variation, and when the environment changes, they do not have the traits that are best fit to the environment. Or maybe there's a disease, and with little diversity, a disease is able to wipe out the population easily. The population ability to respond to changes in the environment is going to be affected by this genetic diversity. Next up, I want you thinking about biodiversity and how a keystone species or uh, a particular species may have an effect on the environment. There are also calculations you can do here with biodiversity. And note that how artificial environments with less species and genetic diversity can be more fragile. So that was a real quick review of some of our main topics in Big Idea 4. If you want to go back and practice the FRQs I mentioned, that would be a great way to study. After this, we'll be reviewing some tough topics on the AP Biology exam, as well as some other strategies for mastery of the test. AP Biology is a trademark registered by the College Board, which is not affiliated with and does not endorse this podcast. Thanks. <laughs>